Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Fly on the Wall. This is episode four, so congratulations for still listening to us. It is season two, and we've got an excellent episode coming at you this week. I'm the pretty one, Aaron Bennett. Justin McCartney. And I'm the one who doesn't have a title like the pretty one, Christian Mesa. <laughs> I feel like we're the Spice Girls and that we each have like a... No. Yeah, I no. disagree. Aren't there like five Spice Girls too? Yep. We okay. have five people on well, this team. stopping the Spice Girls metaphor. <laughs> um, cool. So number one, the number one agenda item that we have always is subscribe to us on iTunes right now. Literally right now. Yep. Stop. Stop this recording. Hit pause. Hit subscribe. And then come back to us. And listen to the rest of the pod because it's a great episode. Also, as always, share us with your friends, post about us, tweet about us. We love engaging with our followers on Twitter. Follow us if you don't, which, like, at this point, guys, come on. Um, like us on Facebook. We have a Snapchat, right, Abby? We have a Snapchat? We have a Snapchat. Uh, so check us out on that, Ooh. too. Do we uh, use the Snapchat? Yeah, we use the yeah, Snapchat. Yeah, we use the Snapchat. We're going to use the Snapchat now. <laughs> we will start a streak with you. Yeah, and mm, that's a big ask. Uh, and Instagram. <laughs> Abby, you're up. Uh, so, of course, follow us on social media. Other thing which launched last week, hopefully all of you saw on Facebook and or Twitter and or word of mouth, um, our operations and communications team is looking to uh, build new members. Opcom. Opcom, yeah, our Opcom team. We're real proud of that one, not going to lie. Can we get cool music for that? Yes, we'll get a cool music for Opcom team. That interest form is open now. We'll keep that open for a few more days so that everyone who wants to get involved can join. Um, descriptions all in the interest form, so I'm not going to go through all of that now. But we're really looking forward to bringing new voices into the room. Um, new Join face, our team. Yeah, new faces Please. to the team. It's going to be great. Great. Um, have we talked about social media? Yeah, we did. Lots about social media. Okay, so just Cross cut that. <laughs> Let's talk about our guest who knows a lot about social media. Aaron. Uh, yeah, this week we have Mike Dubke. Sorry, did you want to go? Uh, well, he said Aaron. Oh, well, I had already started talking. Kind of like share Aaron. the speaking time, but that's okay. I go just thought it. it'd be cool if we all... Wait, we forgot the most important update. We're on three different mics right now. <laughs> this is mic one. No one cares about that. This Just is mic three. Stop. Yeah. Christian's on mic two. Do you, do you want to talk about who's on the pod today, Aaron? I would love to, but we have three microphones. Oh and it, it makes life so One battery much. thing. <laughs> You're right. We are quickly running out of battery here, so let's speed this up. Uh, so Mike Dubke is the former White House communications director of the Trump administration. He was there from, what, like early February? Mid February? 100 days, days or so. yep. uh, through May 9th. 10 Scaramucci's. Yeah, 10 Scaramucci's. Okay, uh, and also head of the BlackRock group before he came to the White House. Which is the communications consulting agency. Yeah, so he has some incredible stories, so make sure you stick around for uh, the entirety of this pod. It's going to be great. Yep. I promise. And what do we have up next, Justin? Tweet of the week, which, <laughs> okay, we're going to get into this in a little bit. But Twitter, as I'm sure you all know, or I hope you all know, it's considering expanding from its 140 character limit to 280 character limit. We have a lot of feelings. We do. We will get there. But first, our tweet of the week comes to us from one of those few selected beta accounts, which has been, you know, picked to, um, yeah, Christian's telling me the tweet now, to try out the 280 limit. The Chicago Bears, the NFL team based in Chicago, shout out Brendan Stelmack, it's his team. They tweeted. Three years later, Brendan discovers that he gives him a shout out <laughs> on our own podcast. They tweeted. Duh! Lots of more characters. Bears. Thanks that was not Twitter. nearly long enough. I want you to try that again. All right, we're trying to keep this intro Duh. short. <laughs> Bears. Okay, that that felt cut. too long. Okay. Nope. okay. They also said thanks at Twitter because at Chicago Bears got 280 characters, uh, which brings us to our segment of the day. What really grinds your gears? Um. And what really grinds our gears subject this week is 280 character Twitter. Can I start? Because I got lots of thoughts. Uh, I have a lot of... Okay, you go, you go. Okay. Why don't you both talk simultaneously? Because we have three microphones. <laughs> <laughs> Stop okay. with this whole three microphones thing. Christian, go ahead. Okay, so my number one issue with this whole 280 character Twitter thing isn't necessarily that it's way longer or I have to read anymore, which might be the complaints in here. It's that I wasn't selected <laughs> to be one of the people to have 280 character Twitter, Okay. The Chicago Bears got it, which is pretty cool. My local congressman got it. Shout out at Alan Rep Lowenthal. He got it. But you were I did call him by his real name, weren't you? <laughs> um, he's at Rep Lowenthal on Twitter. Um, but I didn't personally, and I'm kind of angry about it because I feel like I am a loyal Twitterer. Okay, I tweet all the time. I feel like I would be a good test subject of the common man Twitter. You know, like all of these elites don't need Twitter to have 280 characters, but I necessarily might. So I'm pretty angry at at twitter and at jack for not giving me 280 characters 
So Twitter, if you're listening, uh, I'm at Christian Mesa with two A's on Twitter, and you should give me 280 characters right now because I'm very angry about it. You can toss them to at a Bennett 97 too if you don't mind. Okay, but Aaron, what are your thoughts on this 280 <laughs> character Twitter? Oh, man. See, what annoys me the most, and this is just like a like a classic complaint is that it just takes so much longer to get through my news that is very fair when people especially when people are just jerks uh so there's this one tweet that we saw that recited the first like half of the song by smash mouth <laughs> and then followed up with the second half. and then replied to his own tweet and <laughs> that was so funny it for the took it like i kid you not it took at least 10 seconds to scroll through it on my news feed and like that's just not what i want to see on that timeline Mm-mm. i don't have time for that no i don't have time to read twice as much content like it's ridiculous i have very little time in my day okay my my grinder gears this week similar to aaron um but 280 characters just means double the opportunity for trolls to abuse it so uh, in addition personally i didn't think the smash mouth lyrics was a big deal i didn't consider that trolling i thought that was entertaining (laughs) what's really the problem is when people do the like the one every space counts as a character so what I've seen is people doing like one space and then enter and then enter and enter. And I've had to scroll for like a solid 15 <laughs> seconds to find the next tweet because it's a like huge blocks of just blank space because people are now abusing not only 140 characters of blank space, but 280 characters of blank space. And it's annoying and I don't like you people, although I respect your creativity. Yeah. Uh, you guys know who uses Twitter a lot? <laughs> Us. At real Donald Trump. <laughs> so transition into this week's episode that's not where i thought that was going (laughs) (laughs) uh the person we're talking to this week is mike dubke we've already kind of given him an intro but he has worked personally with president donald trump um and has had to deal with his twitter at times um and this episode we're definitely going to be talking to him about quite a few different things uh he's going to talk to us about being hired as the white house communications director he's going to talk to us about different crisis comm situations he's had to deal with um and it's going to be a really great episode we are really excited to have him on. As an incentive to keep listening, there is a story you might be familiar <laughs> with that uh, Dubkey is going to dive into and give you the the real and spiciest of takes. So spiciest? That may or may not. What have been a, a hint. teaser! What a teaser! <laughs> you just have to listen to find out. Mr. Dubkey, welcome to the podcast. We are excited to have you. Thank you very much. Excited to be here. Yeah, this is one of the uh, one of our first few interviews for this new season, and we think we're kicking it off on a on a real strong note. Getting you in here to talk about your experience uh, extensively in political communications. Well, I'm excited about it. You've had what a former member of Congress. Yep, so far. Uh, and a, now a former communications director. Mm-hmm. So all these folks that can't keep a job. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, our track record is, uh, is so-so. We had former governor, too, oh, Barno Malley. So, yeah, a lot only, of formers, honestly. <laughs> we should work on that. Yeah. Note that. We'll work on that. Great. Uh, so why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the communications business? Sure. Uh, absolutely. I've uh, lived in Washington uh, since I graduated from college. Uh, at one point, I was a White House intern. Uh, <laughs> back when I was in school, which led me to a um, come down to Washington uh, after I graduated from school and actually led to my first job, which was on a presidential campaign. So not a bad way to start in politics uh, all the way at the top. And it's kind of gone <laughs> downhill from there. Uh, but I was involved in political affairs and also uh, worked with uh, folks on, on media. So production of uh, television, radio ads, and then got... Um, got involved at a later point in uh, media placement. So my first company was a media placement firm, uh, started about 18 years ago. Um, and that evolved into having some clients who needed some assistance with public relations. Uh, and at some point I had too many clients not to start a public relations firm. Uh, I was uh, friends with a uh, former communications director at the National Republican Congressional Committee uh, he's also from Buffalo, New York, which is my hometown. Uh, we met at a we met at a party, uh, which is always the best place to meet, Classic. especially in DC. Yeah, right? Especially in DC. Uh, he was done with the job that he was working on. I was looking to start a polit- a, um, uh, a public affairs firm, and we got together in 2009 and started the BlackRock Group. Um, so that's really how it 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 just. Um, 
really came about by uh, saying yes to individuals that had uh, issues that they needed help with and then figuring it out from there. So if I may, so why communications? What what early on in your career uh, made you decide that this is sort of the track in politics you wanted to focus on? Well, and, and, and my initial track was really doing kind of political consulting. But I, I got to tell you, the communication side to me is is the most interesting because it touches on everything. It touches on the politics. It touches on the policy. Uh, it is the face of, of a campaign or a public official or a, a, an office, corporation, trade association, a nonprofit. It is the one position in all of those organizations that always has a seat at the table because if you decide, no matter what you decide to do, that decision needs to be communicated. Or if someone is coming after you and there's a crisis, for example, the communications director is the person who is who is really there to try to um, uh, answer whatever the charge may be. So you are always part of the mix, and that that really is what attracted me to doing uh, communications. Definitely. Uh, so you know, talk to us about being hired as the White House communications director. Uh, you know, I feel like that's such a abstract thing to happen like did you just shoot your resume to whitehouse.gov and like hope for the job you know like how'd this come about uh i think it was um god it was uh, greatagain.gov is the trump administration and i actually didn't send anything to 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 that uh, transition website uh it actually again like uh, most things in washington dc was a lot of serendipity and and happenstance uh i was not uh I was probably not the, this shouldn't surprise anybody. I wasn't the first, second, third, or fourth choice for communications director. But um, my partner, one of my partners in my firm, uh, had had a relationship uh, with the uh, RNC, the Republican National Committee from before, had worked uh, for the Romney campaign in 2012. And um, the chief of staff and the press secretary, so Reince Priebus, uh, chief of staff, and Sean Spicer, uh, press secretary reached out to him to see if he'd be interested in a communications position. He has two small children. He realized that that job is really a job for um, somebody that 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 doesn't have to come home at night. Uh, <laughs> oh man, that's dark. It, it took him it, it took him about twenty four uh, hours, but he got back to them and said, "Sorry, um, I don't think I can take it at this time." Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was sitting next to him in a in our conference room, ready to do a, a client meeting. And he turned to me and just, I think he was joking. I, maybe, <laughs> maybe he was joking uh, and said, are you at all interested? And I, I having two college age uh, children, uh, one is a senior in high school, soon to go to college and one already in college, who do not want to hang out with their father anymore, <laughs> uh, had the free time. So um, I said, sure, why not? Um, you know, I've always told people in Washington, if you get offered something or somebody comes and talks to you about something that you really should say yes. Don't think about it too long because you'll think yourself out of something. <laughs> and so I decided to follow uh, my own advice and uh, to see where it, it led. But it was never anything that was really on my radar screen, never mm-hmm. like a, a deep desire to be the communications at the, uh, director at the White House. But, you know, working and doing uh, work for your country it does interest me. Um, and so I said, yes. And, um, he gave them my name and, uh, they said, uh, well, we'll get back to you. And I thought it was done at that point. <laughs> uh, but they called back about an hour later and scheduled the time for me to come in. Wow. That's a quick turnaround an hour later. Yeah. Yeah. Guess well, White House moves quickly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they have to move quickly. Right. So what happened from there? Um, so, uh, just kind of, uh, uh, They said, can you come in tomorrow? I said, sure. Uh, I went in uh, the next day and uh, nobody knew why I was there. And so I had a meeting with uh, Sean Spicer, who was press secretary at the time, up in the uh, what was called Upper Press. But it was also the day that a lot of the uh, Michael Flynn um, drama was happening. I grabbed a little chair next to the copying machine and sat there, what turned out to be for three hours waiting for the for the interview. But during that three hours, sitting there silently, trying to make myself as small as I possibly could, (laughs) watching this drama go on in front of me, uh, there were probably 30 reporters trying to get anybody from the White House uh, press staff to give them information about what is happening with Michael Flynn and and uh, and and all of that. 
Um, at one point, I was sitting there and a, a reporter from uh, NBC, Peter Alexander, um, started, I think he was just bored. So he's tried to start to interview me. Um, and I was kind of chagrined that he that I drew any attention. I was trying <laughs> to be as small as possible. Um, and I uh, effected, effectively evaded his question uh, to the point that when I was named a week later, um, Peter told me this story afterwards that the NBC uh, newsroom says, does anybody know who this guy is? He's Mike <laughs> Dupke. Has anyone met him before? And of course, everyone's going, no, no idea who he is. Peter go, sees a picture of me. He goes, that SOB. <laughs> I didn't technically lie to him at that point. I just didn't fill him in on why I was sitting there. I just said right. I was a friend and I was getting a tour. <laughs> um, so that was my first interview. Finally had an interview with Sean. Um, uh, Spicer left that interview, uh, called my wife up. She said, how did it go? I said, it, it went, I thought it went fine. Uh, if you are, uh, if you know, I'll, I'll probably, this was a Friday. If they're interested in me, I'll probably find out on Monday or I'll find out on Monday they've hired somebody else. A couple hours later, I get a call back and they say, can you come in tomorrow and meet with the chief of staff? So I guess they liked me at that point. I <laughs> uh, went in on Saturday, met with the chief of staff, kind of same uh, routine. If they like me, they'll call me on Monday or I'll hear somebody else. I get a call. Can you come in tomorrow and meet with, uh, at this point, it was with Steve Bannon and Hope Hicks, who's now the current communications director and a couple of other folks. Did that same thing went down and they said, Monday, can you come in and meet with the president? So I'm, this is pretty fast, right? Friday through the weekend. Um, I said, absolutely. Monday, another, uh, instance where I run into Mike Flynn in the sense that that was the day that he resigned and stepped down. Mm -hmm. So that interview with the president didn't happen that way. I didn't hear anything on Monday. Didn't hear anything on Tuesday. So as fast as everything had been going now, it had slowed to a relative halt. Mm. Um, so, uh, on Wednesday I heard back and they said, can you come in tomorrow and meet with the president? I said, well, okay. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So I had a 9 a.m. meeting with the president and, uh, sat down. It was in the Oval Office, um, sat down across from the Resolute desk, uh, and started to have a conversation with the, with the president. And basically what he was doing, I was thinking, I, I think was saying that if, you know, if I was somebody that, that, uh, that he could work with, mm-hmm. um, if we had a rapport about 10 minutes into the conversation, he said, um, you know, uh, what do you think about doing a press conference? You know, I'm gathering my thoughts. I said, well, Mr. President, I think, you know, you've been in office for almost a month at press conference, you know, next week. We're pre- no, 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 not next week. How about a press conference today? I go, Oh, today. <laughs> so is, is, is this all been uh, set up? Are you all? No, I just, you know, I, I think t- I feel like today is the day I need to do a press conference and I feel good today. Wow. I look around to the people that are in the room and there's not a look of panic, but, <laughs> but a look of, well, we've got some things that we need to get done. So a couple of people left. They started getting the East room oh, of the white wow. house ready. So that was the decision um, right there. Him saying that was, yes, and everyone, acted that was on it. it. So the rest of my interview until we did the press conference that day, and I can't remember when the press conference was that day, but it was early afternoon. So the rest of my interview was basically sitting down and murder boarding uh, the president to do his first press conference. And, wow. you know, look, I'll say that Donald Trump knows how to he knows his way around the press. He knows his way around the media. Um, he is a very confident public speaker and he was going to do well. Uh, the, the thing and he had done well at press conferences during the campaign. I just think since this was the first one. No one really knew what to expect. So it was a very exciting, um, very exciting meeting uh, to be in. Again, we bring in all of these policy experts, all of the senior staff uh, talking to the president about certain areas, foreign policy, domestic policy, things that are coming on. And I'm standing there. I don't have a job. I'm (laughs) basically in the middle of an interview. I'm in the Oval Office and nobody knows who the hell I am. Uh, But I, you know, so I kind of I'm creeping back at at at. (laughs) you know, as the crowd and the oval gets a little bigger and a little bigger. And I find myself standing next to the vice president who I had not met before up, up to that point. And um, we sort of have a side conversation and somebody makes a comment. I kind of lean into the vice president, just kind of half, not jokingly, but just uh, as an aside, I said, you know, I wouldn't handle it that way. I'd, I'd probably do this because well, you should say something. And again, I'm in the middle of a job interview, so I'm not <laughs> really, want to mess this up. and I don't know anybody else and I don't want to mess this up. So I, 
no, it's okay. And the and the vice president steps forward. He goes, Mr. President, Mike has something to say. Oh, oh wow. no. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, Mike. <laughs> There's no I way I'm getting this job. I, I, yeah. So that's, that's – and I spoke up, and I guess I didn't make a fool of myself, so that was fine. Anyway, uh, comes time to do the uh, – to do the press conference and the president said, well, why don't you come with us? I'm thinking I'm going to hang back. Right. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> so, uh, we walked down, uh, walked down through the, through the West wing and then we're in a holding room outside of the East room. Again, kind of do a couple more, um, you know, quick Q and A's of what we think the media is going to do. And, uh, they're ready to go. The president walks into the, uh, to the East room and I'm thinking, well, I could stand here, except I don't have any badges on me. I've got a visitor badge. I'm not supposed to be here. The only reason the Secret Service hasn't thrown me out at this point is because I've been walking with the President of the United States. And if I stand here alone, I'm surely going to be tossed out of this building. So I decide to go into the East Room, but I'm going to stay to the side. I'm going to kind of melt into the into the side of the room so that uh, you know nobody sees me. No one will ask why I'm there and I'll be in this room and I, I should be able to stay there. So I stand along the side. I not thinking about camera angles, um, end up standing exactly where the camera shot, uh, looks down the row, the front row of reporters for the, um, uh, to ask questions of the president. So I am on camera, basically half of the press conference. Wow. <laughs> Not realizing. And my phone starts blowing up and my staff that has no idea that I'm at the White House are texting me. Are you at the White House right now? How'd you get into a press conference? My my partners are going, what's Dubkey doing at the the White House? I see like the corner of your face over there in that screen. So the secret, well, no, I was full on. I was all all on full body shots. So the whole, yeah, the cover was blown at that point. Long and the short of it was uh, that night I got a call. Uh, and they offered me the job. So within a week, uh, I went from not ever even considering, thinking, looking for this position to dropping my family off Friday morning at the airport because we were about to go on a family trip, uh, <laughs> not going with them, kissing them goodbye and uh, continuing on to the White House where I started my 100 days as communications director. Wow. Well, right. after all they put you through, I'm glad they gave you that job. <laughs> You're listening to the flagship geopolitics podcast, Fly on the Wall, and we'll be right back. Today's Politico fun fact is brought to you by President Harry S. Truman. Uh, who, if you're wondering, Harry S., oh, his middle name must be like, you know, Simon. Samuel. Yeah, anything like that. Um, you're wrong, because his middle name does not exist. Uh, the president actually used the S as, you know, a compromise between the names of both of his grandfathers, Anderson Ship Truman and Solomon Young, uh, and in fact does not have a real middle name. It's just S. Which stirred a lot of controversy, actually, because a lot of newspapers... Would, of course it did. Okay. Uh, because a lot of newspapers would write Harry S. period Truman, and he had to continually correct them and correct newspapers because the period would be wrong because it does not stand for anything. It is not short for anything. It's just Harry S. Truman. So, uh, like, on his birth certificate, does it literally say Harry S. Truman? Like, I don't have his birth certificate in front of me right now. Well, that but... seems like a problem. <laughs> I would assume it does, in fact, say Harry S. Truman. Okay, so on, along the same vein of press conferences, so you were involved in the first attempt to repeal the Affordable Care Act and, and put in place the AHCA. Right. So tell us a little bit about that iconic press conference in the Rose Garden after the bill passes the second time, right after the second go around. Uh, so just talk to us about what went into planning that as um, you know a pivotal moment in that healthcare uh, effort. You're going to ask me all of these questions. It's going to sound like we just threw things together at the White House. <laughs> but that was another event that was thrown together at the last minute. 
um, there was a there was a major push. So healthcare had in the House had failed at the end of March, and this right. is now we're now into April, and the president did not give up. I mean, he he, there were many people in Washington that wrote off healthcare. The fact that we couldn't get it accomplished when we had all we had the calendar on our side and everything was on our side to get it done by the end of March. But the president did not give up. He kept uh, pushing. So in that April press conference, uh, that did come together rather late because there was some question just hours before the vote as to whether or not we were going to uh, win the vote. And the president and uh, Mark Short, who's the legislative director and others, uh, Adam Bremberg and others in the uh, in the White House, um, uh, Dr. Price at HHS, who was a former member of, of uh, Congress, and others, uh, and and especially and and the vice president as well, who worked um, tirelessly to to, um, to get us across the finish line. We got across the finish line, and um, the president uh, wanted to bring back all the members, all the Republican members that had voted, and we would have included Democrats <laughs> if a single Democrat had voted uh, for it. But to bring back all the members who had voted for that, uh, to as a, as a bit of a celebration. Um, but also as a bit of a um, as a as a marker for the for the Senate and to say, OK, we're and, and to show the American people that, yes, Republicans have been promising repeal and replace. And we're now halfway there because of uh, because of the House vote. So that all came together. We tried to keep it secret, which mm-hmm. is impossible to keep anything secret right. in Washington. I think the giveaway from most political reporters was the four uh, large uh, Greyhound-style buses <laughs> that were parked outside of the Capitol. Building that may do it, yeah. On the Capitol grounds <laughs> and the Republican members who were running and streaming out of the House chamber <laughs> to get on the bus to come over to the Rose Garden. Like a fire party. drill. <laughs> it was kind of a fire drill. So at that point, we're getting questions. Is there going to be a press conference at the White House? And we hadn't officially notified anything at that point. So we're kind of denying it. But we're seeing we're watching the cable news have cameras on the buses and the members getting on the bus. So at that point, we said, yes, there is going to be an event here. Mm-hmm. We had to uh, wrangle the um, the White House uh, press corps into position mm-hmm. in the Rose Garden for that for that conversation. So talk to us a little bit about how the communication strategy informed the actual execution of the press conference. You know, how did you decide who got to speak? There's so many members of Congress. Right. So how did you decide who got to speak, when they got to speak, where who they all stood? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, there's so many things yeah. that go into this. No, no, there's a lot that goes into that. And again, um, this was a that that conversation, uh, from my recollection, uh, happened in the uh, in the Oval Office. Wow. And um, it really occurred just prior to House leadership arriving and then while House leadership um, was coming into the room. And they had sent off, they had sent over a list that was quite long, mm-hmm. uh, obviously, because <laughs> there are a number of people that want, wanted to speak. Right. And we we still did, I think we had something like nine or 10 speakers that day. Um, the list was longer than that. And course. we had to pair it back. Right. So we worked, um, we worked trying to pair that back and then rearranging it. Too, because there's a lot of protocol that goes into um, speaking. And again, if I'm remembering correctly, I believe we had the vice president introduce the president who spoke and then introduce members of, of Congress, starting with the speaker. And then the president came back up mm-hmm. uh, on stage at the, at the very end of it. But we had a number of, of members that we had to, to, to cut out of the um, cut out of speaking uh, just because it was running too long. Um, so a lot of it had to do with protocol. A lot of had of it had to do with who was instrumental in getting across the finish line. Uh, from a communications director's um, uh, position, I wanted to make sure we had some diversity. Uh, it wasn't just a, a number of white guys that were standing up there, right. um, though it was predominantly that. Um, uh, so we made sure that we had some diversity of speakers. And then the, then the key was really trying to go from, from member to member to member. And remember, these are all politicians who don't have a problem speaking <laughs> to, to let them know that you really you've got, you know, 60 to 90 seconds up there. Uh, most of them did not follow or heed that advice. Uh, so the press conference went longer than we wanted it to. Um, but that was that was our goal is to, to try to get it as co- compact as possible. And then also to get it done before the nightly news that 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 night. So a lot of what goes into the strategy behind all of this is making sure that, you know, First and foremost, your message gets delivered. Secondly, that the, that 
the people that need to speak speak, that you're not hurting anybody's feelings. You're making you're making strategic decisions um, uh, for a reason. You have to take into account when you do these to make sure the press is available, make sure you're not counter programming against something else that might take attention away from this. And then in a lot of instances, if you're getting up close to the end of the day to make sure that you do these uh, events before the national newscast. So a lot of things go into uh, consideration when you're trying to pull these events together. And that was, a, again, another event we pulled together in a very short order. Yeah, well, it seems like a lot of moving pieces that you're able to keep your hands on, um, which is impressive, to say the least. Uh, I don't think we uh, are able to be that on top of things, even <laughs> putting together this podcast every week. So very commendable for that. Hey, you were pretty efficient getting the microphone set up. I was going to say, that, that's pretty much the, uh, the bulk of uh, our work there. <laughs> Tough process. <laughs> Great. Uh, so let's transition into uh, another segment that we want to talk to you about, which is okay. keeping things on message, right? Which is sort of the primary goal of a right. communications director, especially in the White House, when there's a lot of inputs, a lot of outputs, you know, trying to center it around a single message. Um, so talk to us a little bit about um, your work in that, specifically in relation to uh, what everyone's talking about, the president's use of Twitter, which is very unique for a president and was unique on the campaign trail as well and really puts out an authentic voice. Mm-hmm. Um, but talk to us a little bit about times it stood in the way of the message you were trying to craft and sometimes where it directed the message you were going to craft. So I was I was fairly naive when I took the position thinking that, you know, we would sit down. I had a, the we had a, a fantastic communication staff. Uh, that had come from the campaign and had also come from the Republican National Committee and a couple of other folks. So I had a fantastic staff that I basically inherited and we augmented with a couple of extra people. But so I had this naive notion that the staff, the communication staff working in conjunction with the press staff would come up with messaging on big public policy issues, tax reform, uh, immigration, you name it, whatever the White House wants to put out that day, that, uh, that week, that month. We would come together, um, work on those messaging uh, units. We'd make sure that the right cabinet secretaries are saying the right thing, that the congressional committees were informed and they were working in conjunction with the legislative work that we were doing out of the ledge office in the, in the White House. And all of this would work seamlessly. We just had to get everybody on the same page and, and go together. And then reality hit me in the face, which was <laughs> that that is not how that, that it looks great in the movies, right. uh, but that's not how it works. Probably 70% of my time was spent reacting mm. to something that either somebody else did, another message that's out there, um, a natural disaster, a man-made disaster, whatever the case may be. And then in the case of, of President Trump, um, his ability to connect directly with the American people through the use of Twitter. So... Um, you know, the, the, I, I say this to people, every president since George Washington, I am sure, has wanted a way to communicate directly to the American people. Sure. And in the past, they would do that through speeches or events. Uh, recently, with Obama and uh, Bush and Clinton, they would do addresses to the nation. Um, they would do their press conferences or a major policy speech. And that's how they would try to, con- to convey their, their messaging directly to the American people. The problem is through all, even with those methods, they all go through the filter of the media. Donald Trump is the first president really to use this, the, the medium of Twitter that has no filter. Mm-hmm. Um, people jokingly wish the president had a filter sometimes <laughs> on what he was uh, uh, putting out there. But I, you know, I think that misses the point. The point is that the president has the ability to connect directly to the American people. And he, um, you know, and, and frankly, uh, the pr- President Trump has an innate understanding of how to convey a message in 140 characters. So he uses that. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a great tool. It is a great luxury that we have. And it's a, it's um, it, it's a it's a, a fantastic um, uh, uh, messaging uh, device for us for us to use. But sometimes it also uh, creates a situation and we and where we are reacting more to the president's tweets, then we mm-hmm. are proactively pushing out a message. So that happened quite a bit. And um, and sometimes uh, to our benefit and sometimes to our detriment. So how do you, it seems difficult at times to balance, you know, what you're doing in the comm shop with what's going on on Twitter. So how do you, how do you work with the president and with the comm shop to kind of shape the tone of Washington and what's coming out of the White House? And how do you just um, let the president shape 
that message as well. How does that work? Most of the the uh, um, uh, tweets that come from real Donald Trump are, are are from the president, or he's taken some issues that we would like for him to talk about, mm-hmm. and he's put it in his own words. So that happens quite a bit. Right. Um, and then I think more to your point, probably what you're trying to uh, ask me is that, and then there are those that we didn't plan. Mm-hmm. We didn't as a communications team, that wasn't the focus of what we wanted to talk about, but it was something the president wanted to talk right, about. Sure. And the one reason, um, you know, that he has his, um, he's his supporters who will not leave him. They love that authenticity. Uh, that's one of the reasons he won the white house was that authenticity that, that, um, that Hillary Clinton, frankly, did not did not have, uh, and and felt new and different to the American people. So um, you know we don't want to put a uh, you know um, governors on that on that authenticity, but it did make you know it did make the communications director's job a little bit more difficult because right. we had to we had to answer those and and frankly and the press secretary's job. So a lot of times the answer for those was coming out of the press secretary rather than the communications shop. Mm-hmm. Cause we're, um, you know, I used to joke with Sean, uh, he deals with the today and I deal with the tomorrow. Um, <laughs> I, sounds I, about right. <laughs> I especially used that line when there was some tweet that I didn't want to deal with. <laughs> that's your issue. Like your, yeah, Sean. Sean, take that. Rough but, one. <laughs> but that, that's a, that's a good way. I think to look at uh, how a communications director and a press secretary work in the white house. He does deal with the today and I deal with the tomorrow. So, when it had something to do with policy, it had something to do with issues that were going to be more than just a one day story or one day event. Or um, That is where, uh, you know, I kind of came into play. And when it was a one day, a one day story or a comment or a tweet about something that had just happened, that generally got addressed in the press conference by, by Spicer and now by, by Sarah. You're listening to Fly on the Wall. We'll be right back. Our Politico's As Real People This Week comes to us from the President's Cup in New Jersey, which, if the name wasn't uh, enough of a giveaway, it's a golf tournament uh, that three of the former presidents were at. So there's a really cool picture, uh, a selfie, actually, uh, with pro golfer Phil Mickelson and three former presidents, President Clinton, President Bush, and President Obama, who, you know, first of all, look pretty fly. They're just enjoying their retirement, which, like, who can blame them? Um, And hanging out around some golf. You know, why not? If I was retired and had been president, I'd go play some golf. Christian, I feel like you're the best judge of this. Which retired former president do you think has the best golf game? Mm. Mm, definitely Obama. You Hot think? take, Bush. Obama like put in the effort to put in a like green in the White House, like on the White House. Oh, like, he cares about the game for sure. Do you think he has the best game? Yes, and only because I would say George W. Bush is too busy painting, and Bill Clinton, I feel like, is too old at this point. To, that like, is play true. Good golf. That's like, fair. His body is frail. George, and, and like I would say W, like... He like he could have spent his time golfing. He might have been a great golfer by now, but he really spent a lot of time painting. And so I'm gonna have to give the W over here to uh, not W. Yeah, not W, which is President Obama. Just in case any of the three of you are listening, we're happy to play around a golf and, and and settle this, or come on the pod, or come on the pod. So at times, and I know you talked a little bit about the president attempting to communicate, the White House attempting to communicate, but being filtered through the media. Tell us about a time, um, because I, I, we all know that the White House has had trouble uh, building great relationships with the media and have sometimes um, been at well, odds. Well, they would stop lying. I was going to say, well, that's, that's where I'm going. Uh, so is there any time you felt a story that was put out there was just truly unjust, that, that just totally painted the White House in, in a truly unjust and, and wrong light? Um, I think, you know, look, we all we all have our jobs, right? It is the job of the communications director to um, uh, to convince the American um, uh, public and to convey to the American public uh, that the, the public policies by this administration are good public policies. Right. That's our that's our job. That's my job uh, was my job. It is the job of the media to um, uh, in, not interpret. Mm-hmm. But and and not to just convey, but to be in some instances skeptics critical. to and sure. critical 
to that messaging. And that's a fair trade. And that's what their job is. There was one instance that does come to mind in which, um, I, and this is what I'm worried about, and I think is especially evident with this administration, is that the media, and I'm going to just use that term globally and, and folks can, can come after me for, for, for <laughs> being too general on this, but um, without naming names, the media has a um, tendency now, and there seems to be a permission uh, to not just be critical and not just be a uh, an arbiter of the news, but to actually put a spin on the news. And one instance was uh, we were doing a um, we we had we had called a lid, which in in um, in press parlance means that you've basically told the press corps that it's okay to go home. There was an incident that um, uh, we had called a lid, but a news story was going beyond. It, it, it was really kind of coming to the forefront after we had called that lid. And we did not want to, we were going back and forth as to whether or not we should open the lid, which basically means you're calling people back from home. Mm -hmm. Or given that uh, three quarters of the press corps was still there, we just <laughs> break the lid by ha having a, um, a impromptu press conference uh, to talk to the uh, to them. The White House Correspondents Association, uh, I was trying to get with them uh, to find out what they wanted to do. I was unable to get an answer from them on, on you know, where, where they would uh, stand on that. So we decided to make an executive decision that we were going to mm -hmm. break the lid. It felt to us that it was more important, even though not everyone was there, and some people will complain that they went home or they went out to dinner, and that it wasn't fit. We were not fair to them because we told them it was okay to do that, which we did. Mm -hmm. But this issue was too important not to not to discuss. So we decided to break the lid. Well, I needed to talk to Sean about that. We had decided that amongst the comm staff. I needed to talk to Sean and to um, and to uh, Sarah about that, who's the deputy press secretary at the time. Sean was out in this area down the West uh, West Boulevard or the main entrance to the West Wing called Pebble Beach. And if you've ever watched, if you and literally it's called Pebble Beach because the ground, it's just somebody took rocks and threw it over the grass that had been there before <laughs> and... They set up all of these mini tents. I think there's like nine little green mini tents. They're shotgun tents that um, you would see uh, when you watch a reporter standing with the White House uh, behind them in the shot. Mm -hmm. So that is those the, those are permanent positions given to each one of the major networks and cable um, cable groups and some of the uh, the larger um, local uh, affiliates. Um. That is a uh, camera position where they can permanently have a camera there. They have their equipment there. If news happens, they can at the drop of a hat do a do a, a set uh, piece. So um, both Sean and Sarah were out there. I needed to go from the West Wing out to Pebble Beach to have a conversation with them because the rest of the media who had stayed was almost like enemy troops positioned in between Pebble Beach and the West Wing. So, sort of so I quickly rushed through the uh, through the enemy lines uh, to, get to, to get to uh, to get to Pebble Beach. And the way that um, so you see that back uh, to the White House and we keep that clear so nobody walks into anybody's shot. Well, in right. order to keep that clear, there's a pathway on the other side that goes through these bushes. That, that actually, mm. I don't know why that's paved, but the actual tents aren't. <laughs> I never really thought about that before, but that is strange. Poor anyway, boy. there's this sidewalk that goes through the uh, through the bushes and then comes out at the, um, I guess it would be the south end of, of Pebble Beach. Um, and you can walk back and, you know, towards the main entrance of the West Wing. So I rush through the enemy lines. I get to the back. Sean and Sarah are done with their, are done with their uh, hits on the networks that they were on. And we have a quick impromptu conversation. Hey, this is what the comms department is thinking. We've talked to your folks, your deputies in the press uh, department. This is what we're thinking. We think we're going to, we, we should break the lid. We should have an impromptu, um, uh, not press conference. It's, it's more of a gaggle um, when you when you sit down and, you, and you're off camera, but you're answering reporters' questions. And we should, because we closed up the, um, we closed up the briefing room and there are White House uh, tours going on right now. We can't open up the, the briefing room again. So let's just do it outside here. And uh, if there's enough light, we'll just have it here. So we're having this conversation 
the enemy uh, lines that I had broken through uh, to begin with are staring down this sidewalk that is surrounded by bushes. Oh, man. Uh, looking at us, having this conversation. We come down the sidewalk, having decided, you know what, we're going to break the lid and we're going to have this this conversation right here. So we come out of the bushes, you know, <laughs> literally on the sidewalk. But a paved path. A paved path <laughs> yeah. that everybody uses. <laughs> we come out and decide to have the impromptu press conference right there in the driveway. Um, no cameras because it's a it's uh, we wanted to be fair to both the print. You got to take all of these things into consideration. You know, it's not just television. It's mm-hmm. not just radio. It's not just print. So we had to be fair to everybody. Um, so it was off camera, which is very normal. Uh, and it was, uh, and Sean spoke and answered questions for, I gotta say it was like 45 minutes wow. just standing there. Wow. Now, first story comes out from the Washington post and this is where I'll name names because I, <laughs> I, I felt like, and I throw the at, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to give you the reporter's name, not because I don't want to, it's because I can't remember it right. <laughs> um, she writes the story that Sean Spicer emerges from the bushes after <laughs> hiding in the bushes from the press corps to give this to give this statement. And I knew immediately when I read that, that the way she was describing uh, this scene, that that was going to become a caricature. Mm. Sean had already been uh, portrayed uh, by um, McCarthy on and SNL. SNL. Right, right. Um, you know, cartoonists are just dying for uh, uh, descriptions like that. And this was going to become kind of one of these pop culture things, you know, Sean Spicer hiding in the bushes. Right. Call her up immediately. I go, you've got to change your lead paragraph on this. You know exactly where we came from. It is a pathway. There are bushes. Uh, some of them are as big as trees. They are our bushes. But we were walking to the end of it to hold the, the gaggle. And she goes, yeah, I don't think anyone's going to take it that way. And I'm like, you're you're either not that intelligent or (laughs) you're lying to my face right now. And she goes, no, 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 that's that that's not necessary to get. I was getting actually credit. I was probably using some words I shouldn't use on a podcast, not on a family program such as yours, such as yours. I was using some words. I don't get angry all that often. I was angry and very hot at this reporter. I said, I need your editor. So we get on the phone with the editor. I go through, get all, go all the way through. They say they'll take it under consideration. They made some minor changes, but basically they kept, even knowing we strongly objected, knowing that the caricature would be of Spicer hiding in the bushes, mm-hmm. knowing that that was a false narrative. Right. I mean, this is a this is this is dumb in the sense that it's not really about public policy or anything else. I it's realize just petty, that. Yeah. yeah. But it was petty. Yeah. That's right. exactly right. It was very petty. They were doing it on purpose. They knew what the effect of it would be. And I'm sure she celebrates every backslap she gets right. from every reporter. You really got them good. Mm-hmm. The problem with that is we were trying to do the press corps a favor that night. Mm-hmm. We were we were breaking the lid because they they felt like this was an issue that was of, of importance. We He stood there for 45 minutes giving a speech or not giving a speech, answering questions. Uh, we did everything that we thought, given the circumstances that we could do to be friendly to the press. And then we totally got screwed. And I will use the term screwed. We felt screwed. Right. And that was kind of at that point, the realization that this isn't just kind of, oh, I'm, I'm joking about running through the enemy lines. This mm-hmm. isn't just, you know, there is some real animosity here. Mm-hmm. And it's and I think it's only grown and it's 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 made life more difficult. Uh, for both sides, both the media, because there's a lack of trust because of instances like this. And then also for the administration, because the media feels like they've got the, uh, you know, they're, they're now trying to impress their brethren and um, uh, in the, in the media core. Um, yeah, look, I can, I can, I can get under the skin even better right. than you. So that's unfortunate. I feel, I, I feel sad about that. I wish this weren't a podcast. So we could like show a picture of the path and just Move on with our day. Be a little bit more. I'm yeah. sure if you go on Google and you you Google Pebble Beach White House, you'll you'll probably you'll be able it. to see it. Love oh, that yeah. it's called Pebble Beach. We'll tweet that out. Yeah. yeah, I have to say we have a roommate of ours who does ROTC, so he will eat up all of your uh, military analogies oh, right. there, the enemy lines. It's well, no, he, he won't eat it up. He'll probably say, "Now that's not the way you describe like, this." Now, actually, if you were pinned a, down in that situation, <laughs> yes, exactly. Go around the bushes. That's right. <laughs> I have heard him describe walking to Leo's as such a situation where he describes military strategy. <laughs> So <laughs> that's fair enough. 
Uh, great. So the last thing we'll do with you today is what we like to do on our podcast is bring in other students and their perspective. Okay. So what we were able to do is we found uh, a news editor at The Hoya, which is our news magazine, and we wanted to ask him a question uh, that we'd like you to engage with. Okay. So his name is Jeff Cirillo, and the question we asked him um, is, is Trump invincible to a bad story? Since we know throughout the campaign and even through the presidency that, um, at least with his core, uh, core supporters, that there is no story that nasty with the media that can really turn his core voters against him or change that support, uh, leading to this sort of concept of Teflon Trump that people talk about. Yeah. So what we're going to do is we're going to play for you his thoughts on that question. Okay. And we'll ask you to respond. All right. Cool. Well, we heard a lot about that during the campaign and since the campaign as well, the idea that uh, people say that no matter what President Trump does or then candidate Trump does, nothing ever happens to him. And every time I hear that, I just want to ask, have you been paying attention? Um, he came into the White House in January with his polls just at 50%. Now, they have never rebounded to 50%. He usually bounces around the high 30s. Um, I don't know what people mean when they say he's invincible. I don't know. There's no cause and effect with polls. but. What we have seen is that there have been a steady pattern of very, very negative stories about Trump, about the White House, about the way the administration is being run. And steadily, if you look at the polling averages, his, his polling averages just looks like a downhill uh, slope. It's, it's, it's truly, I don't know what people mean when they say he's still doing great. I think they mean he's still president. He hasn't been impeached or resigned yet. Um, I think that people still are in disbelief that he is president. I think somehow, um, that if he is so bad a president, it must mean that he's going to leave. That's just not how it works. Unless something stupendous happens, Trump is going to be president for at least four years. Um, but the idea that just because of the fact that he hasn't been kicked out of the White House in disgrace means that he's doing great, that's just demonstrably not the case. So, Mike, your thoughts on uh, Jeff Cirillo's spiciest of takes? Uh, yes. Well, I, I would say this. One, um, uh, it's hard to be on a downward slope when you you yourself say that the uh, that the, the polls have leveled off. So right. let's let's set the stage here um, instead of the rhetoric. Let's let's look at the facts here. They have leveled off, and unfortunately, and I will say this, unfortunately for the administration, I'm sure that they would like their polls to be over fifty percent, but they have been in the in the high thirties, uh, low forties. I think to the question that you were asking, and maybe where I would. Um, Answer that more than than um, than the um, than the, the answer the answer that was given is that um, the the American people and those individuals who um, uh, are you know they they call it flyover country but the those voters who voted for Donald Trump uh, whether um, you love Donald Trump or not but those voters that voted for Donald Trump in two thousand and sixteen. Some of them voted because they really liked the message that he was conveying. Yeah. Some of them voted uh, because they wanted something different to happen in Washington. And I think 2016 was that election. We've heard we've heard um, how terrible Washington is from even before Reagan, but really the uptick of you know Washington is dysfunctional from Ronald Reagan on. Every yeah. president runs on that. Everyone does uh, and says that. But almost every administration, Republican and Democrat, have come in, and from the viewpoint of most Americans, it looks like nothing ever changes. It really doesn't matter if it's a, if it's Obama or if it's George W. Bush. The way the government operates in Washington uh, is not going to change. Right. It never mm -hmm. changes. And then you've got a guy like Donald Trump who comes in, not only looks different, sounds different, he's not a professional politician, he's not even a... You know, as uh, a lot of folks say, well, he's not a very eloquent speaker. He may not be an eloquent speaker the way that 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 in um, Washington terms that, that elites want him to be in sure. Washington terms or or whatnot. But he does speak uh, in in a certain way that there is a group in the United States that they can they can identify with. Right. And I th I think what what uh, catapulted Donald Trump to victory in November is the same thing that gives him the ability. To have this quote Teflon sheath that that sheath that that um, that you're mentioning, it's that he's at least trying to do it differently, and right. we're going to cut him a lot of slack and get, give him a lot of benefit of the doubt because he's trying to do something differently, and we see it every day. Now, a lot of people say, "Well, those tweets are 
are, are terrible or bad. They take us in a different direction. Yeah, but it's not like anything else we've ever seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Chuck and Nancy agreement on, on, on the debt ceiling. Right. That's different. When's the last time a Republican rejected his leadership and cut a deal, uh, frankly, with the Republican leadership in the room watching the deal yeah, get cut right. um, with the with the uh, the head of the of the uh, Democrat head of the Senate and and uh, House, the uh, minority leader in the House. It just doesn't happen. It feels different. And I think if you go back to the polling numbers that were referenced, there's a reason Trump got an uptick in the polls from the high 30s somewhere into the 40s when he cut the deal with Chuck and Nancy right. because it was different. And so that's going to continue as long as the president, and I think the president understands this, that is going to continue as long as the president um, doesn't fall into the swamp. As long as he stays outside the swamp and doesn't fall into the body of the swamp, which is hard to do in this town, um, he's going to have that support. I'll leave you with one final thought. And I've said this, there is probably 40% of the population that loves Donald Trump. 40% 40% of the population that hates Donald Trump mm. and 20% of the population that's curious and could go either way. And it's that 20% of the population that I think is going to determine the elections of 2018 and determine whether or not Donald Trump is reelected in 2020 and how successful this, how, the, how successful this administration is going to be. And that's just a reality that we have to accept. You're going to have the lovers and the haters and the battle's going to be over those folks who are curious but want something done in right. Washington. I think yeah. that's a great way to, to look at it. I mean, it, it couldn't be more true that, you know, we, I, I think the in, in terms of Donald Trump and the presidency, that yeah, there are very much two camps. And I think um, it's impossible to look at polling numbers as a whole as an indicator of, you know, is Donald Trump doing well or is Donald right. Trump doing poorly? I think there's more to the story there. Yeah, well, there you go, Jeff. The fieriest of takes from Mr. Dubkey. Well, I think, I think that's what we, we try to do. And I, I like... Um, so the hot take is something candidly that we added this year, uh, just because we wanted to, you know, bring more voices to the table and have people don't like us that much. That's why. Yeah, I was gonna say we we get a little boring sometimes. We're uh, so boring. We're a little rote. So yeah, we like to bring in new conversations. So we appreciate you. Uh, you no know, problem. You responding to that hot take. Yeah, this was great. Uh, I think we people are really gonna enjoy this episode, especially you know learning what it's like to be in the White House is something that we really don't get a lot on this podcast. Um, and it was great to listen to your experiences. So thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome. Enjoyed it. Thanks for coming, Mike. And for those interested, uh, he is a fellow here at Geopolitics. And if you want to visit his uh, discussion groups, they're Mondays at... No. No, not... No. Oh, my God. Wednesday. Wednesday. Four to five thirty. I remember because I have um, I work in the afternoon and it, Mondays and Wednesdays are the two days I can't make those discussion groups. I knew yeah, yours was one two, of them. There are two on Mondays with fellows who shall not be named because not well, it's not group. a competition. I want more <laughs> people to come to my discussion group than Love theirs. It. So Wednesdays at four yes. um, on the twenty-four minute news cycle. Uh, yes, that is the theme. Though um, it, as as happened yesterday when we had our first discussion, uh, it went uh, in a different direction so a lot of a lot of conversation so that was good Uh, i think it's a wonderful topic and we're very lucky to have you here yeah thanks so much for being at georgetown this semester by the way thank you very much all right thanks mike you're listening to fly in the wall we'll be right back Thanks so much for listening to Fly on the Wall. My mouth was so clearly open. I know, but you stole the previous thing from me. And then I let you have it. Okay, guys, guess guess what? what? That's the cool part about having three mics. We all get to talk at the same time. Okay, this whole three mics thing is so overblown. (laughs) But do you want to all three at the same time say thank you for listening? No. Ready? One, two, three. Thank Thank you for for listening to Fly on the Wall. Wall. See, the two of us got it. Yeah, no. So we just had a great conversation with Mike Dubke, and we really hope you enjoyed his spicy takes on the uh, inner workings of the White House. Wow. Yeah, I thought that was wow. nice. Yeah, uh, no, go home. <laughs> but really, I, I think it's great that we've had on Fly on the Wall just in the last calendar year two former communications directors for two different administrations who ran things two, for, two, two very different operations. And I think it's interesting, too. We actually asked Jen Psaki in our very first podcast about the hiring of Mike Dubke. So if you're really interested, go back and listen to what she had to say about Mike Dubke getting hired and, you know, connect the pods because that's so fun. Oh, connect the pods. That's going to be a new marketing strategy. Connectivity is one of the key uh, pillars of our brand here. Make sure to follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat now as well. 
Check out our OpCom team. That'll stay open for the next few days. We'd love to have you here on the team. And yeah, when Christian's on Snapchatting, we're all good here. I was going to say, Christian took a Snapchat, so I like momentarily paused. Yeah, hey, I did take a selfie. I'm not ashamed. Hey, we're friendly. There you go. We'll Who is it to, Christian? Okay, it's irrelevant. <laughs> Moving on. I put it on my story. Thank you. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. Definitely tune in next week. We're going to have a great other episode. Have a great week, everybody. Do you guys think if I could get my like birth certificate legally changed, just be like Christian A. Mesa and like not have a middle name like Harry S. Truman? I, I feel mean, like that'd be so exciting. If you feel that strongly about dropping the Anthony, then like go for it. Well, it's not that I feel strongly about dropping the Anthony. I just want to be as cool as Harry S. Truman. You want to be the fun fact on a podcast one day, right? Number one, yes. Number two, it's so mysterious. Like, what is his middle name? Everyone always probably asked that when he was younger. What's the S stand for? Yeah. It's just like nothing. That was probably his NSO fun fact. <laughs>